Good morning, everyone. This is Susan Wingate. I am the host of Dialogue Between the Lines. And um, as many of you know, we host fiction authors, agents of fiction authors, and publishers of fiction authors only. We are fiction, fiction, fiction all the time. Um, it, it, it all started uh, in 2010 when I realized that we were bumping into blocks of um, avenue for uh, getting the word out about our book. So it was a platform building type of idea for authors who did not have um, access to the media. So that's why we got started uh, seven years ago, and we're still going strong. Um, fortunately, we've had some amazing authors like Scott Turow and Debbie Maycomber. We've had Joshua Graham, who was also my uh, guest, who was my host, co-host, and um, Steve Barry, you know, Tosca Lee, all these amazing people. Um, we have uh, people from where I am in the Pacific Northwest, a lot. We've had Garth Stein, and I'm fortunate today to have on the show Gar LaSalle, who is not only an author, but a physician, a sculptor, and um, and just an amazing person who decided at some point in his life that he wanted to help authors out also, and we'll talk about that a little bit further into the show. Um, you can find me and my books at SusanWingate.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Google Plus and uh, StumbleUpon and Pinterest and, oh, my goodness, the list is long and lovely. And um, so uh, please check me out and follow me. I've been on a rant of late about politics, and you know what? If we can't speak up for our industry as writers, then we shouldn't be writing. We need to speak out and say what's right and what's wrong in the country today. And uh, I feel very strongly about that. And you can find out and read about all of my um, my opinions, and that's all they are, are opinions, um, on uh, my website as I blog and on my uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts as well. Okay, enough of me. Let's talk about author and filmmaker Gar LaSalle, who is joining me today on Dialogue. Gar LaSalle is an award-winning author and filmmaker, a physician, a sculptor, and a creator who has been honored widely in the fine arts and medical communities for his leadership and creativity. He is the author of two award-winning historical fiction novels, Widow Walk, published in 2014 by Greenleaf Book Group, won multiple awards, including the Eric Hoffer Award for Literature, the ELIT Silver Medal Award, the Indie Readers Award for Best Novel, and the San Francisco Book Festival Grand Jury Prize for General Fiction. Isthmus, the second book in the saga, was published in 2015 and was a finalist for the PNWA Nancy Pearl Award for Literature, which is an incredible and uh, uh, greatly desired award by many authors. So it's, it's quite an honor. His third novel, The Fairness of Beasts, is scheduled for release in 2017. Um, Widow Walk is based on real events surrounding the revenge murder of Isaac Eby, a prominent citizen who lived on Whidbey Island in the mid-1800s. Author Gar LaSalle combines his love of history with a compelling story of a woman's determination to find her kidnapped son. The novel vividly depicts those turbulent times when the United States and Britain both attempt to control vast, fertile new lands in the Pacific Northwest and contain its native aboriginal populations. 
In Widowalk, brave people fight to survive predation and the violent confrontations that inevitably accompany ambition and expansionism. This is a story of courage, character, and the emergence of those who endured. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. And Gar LaSalle, you are on the air. Thank you for joining me today. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Susan, um, for inviting me and also for um, this entire venue that you provide for fiction authors. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I felt it was. I felt very strongly about that. And since we're on the subject of um, of of doing for others as authors, doing for other authors, and making um, their lives easier or at least more beneficial in some regard with the industry. I, you know, you you have started this Gar LaSalle Storyteller Award, which is available through the Artist Trust, um, a Washington State program. The Artist Trust is, and this is an annual award. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that because? you are doing quite a, a benefit for authors who win this award. Well, yes, thank you. Um, the, uh, the, the concept developed um, uh, really thinking about how tough it is to be a writer um, and uh, understanding um, that the, the um, Writing is only part of it. Marketing and getting your work out and, your, and what your vision is is even harder. So um, I've been fortunate in my life uh, through my other career and uh, decided that it would be a good way of giving back. Um, so we, we, we created this award. It's a $10,000 annual award that goes to um, uh, fiction writer. Um, people submit um, uh, samples of their work. It has to be fresh uh, work, and uh, the the criteria are that it is innovative and and uh, and also finely crafted. Uh, the first year we did it a uh, year year uh, ago, uh, Antas Lislagi uh, won the award. There were about um, eighty uh, participants in that, and with only about two months' notice. And, then, and this, by the way, is available only to Washington State um, authors. Um, I'd love to see it uh, expand uh, to uh, the Pacific Northwest or, or go nationally at some point. Um, and uh, this year, Peter Mountford won, and there were 160 uh, uh, people who uh, entered very, very good writing. A uh, huge number in that uh, group were accomplished writers and were already published. Uh, and there were several emerging authors as well. What was interesting to me was uh, uniformly when we saw the descriptions of uh, how people described their their need for this, it was pretty obvious that writers don't get very much support. So I'm very pleased that Artist Trust helped us do this. Uh, it's a great organization. Um, we intend to make this a perpetual uh, award. As a matter of fact, I've uh, arrange for that and um, and see it expand into other areas such as sculpture, which um, I, I think can also be a form of storytelling. Um, the concept itself is that it celebrates the notion of storytelling, which I think is a way of us telling stories about ourselves to ourselves um, so that we become the stories we tell and, 
and uh, that's my goal here. Well, it's a noble goal, and um, and you're right. It is a difficult uh, industry for people who have not hit it um, quite yet. And uh, and any help, I I I feel so strongly about this. Any help that we as established authors can give to um, emerging or even as other authors who have been writing for quite a long time and just have not had that one great break. Um, I think it's uh, it's what we should do. I mean, we're it's not competitive directly. It's not a com- you know we we are there's millions of people on this planet and millions of people read different books. So it's a lot different than say one of the finer arts uh, like painting, where you have one painting and it's going to sell to one person. Um, you know, uh, it's. I, I feel very strongly about uh, paying it forward for other authors. Okay, enough about that. <laughs> I could go on and on about that subject. Um, but let's talk about you and your writing. First of all, I want to. Okay, so you you spun off from your your uh, career as a physician to writing novels, historical novels, and um, but you also have this creative side of the sculpting. Tell me exactly how that writing became part of your life. Well, I, I, I've always been a writer. Uh, of course, majority of my writing was, uh, well, in my professional career as a physician uh, and medical director and teacher was uh, in the nonfiction genre. Um, but, uh, but it, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I grew up in a family of uh, Opera singers talk about vicissitudes of performance and and careers. Uh, that's a tough one. And um, I knew that I I kind of have always had a bifurcated uh, uh, set of interests. The the uh, while I was in college, I kind of simultaneously majored in theater and in biology. And then um, when I went to medical school. Uh, I try to keep that alive by uh, teaching acting classes, um, really to approach the concept of bedside manner, which I think is very important. And uh, by the time I finished medical school, I knew that um, uh, irrespective of what I would do uh, in my medical career, I was going to take some time to uh, either get back into theater or explore film and video, et cetera. So um, after I uh, got my license, uh, completed part of my training. I, I took two years and did um, a master's in fine arts at California Institute of the Arts, um, where I studied um, film graphics and animation and documentary filmmaking and uh, made a documentary about how I was supporting myself, which was as an emergency physician. And it was the very first documentary about uh, emergency medicine that was ever done. This was done in 1975. It's called Diary of a Moonlighter. Um, and and uh, uh, it was never intended for uh, distribution, uh, although it, it did pretty well. And then after that, um, while I was in at CalArts, I, I took screenwriting uh, classes from uh, Alexander McKendrick, Sandy McKendrick, who made lots of fantastic films, uh, The Lady Killers and The Man in the White Suit, a number of other things like that. 
And I, I started writing screenplays um, while I was doing my residency. And uh, when I moved back up to the Pacific Northwest, which is my home, um, uh, wrote a, a total of about five or six spec scripts. And um, uh, the story of Widow Walk came as a result of my discussing the treatment for that story based on what I had learned while I was working as an emergency physician up on Whidbey Island um, with a producer friend. And he suggested, well, Gar, you know, uh, there's thousands and thousands of uh, spec scripts being written every year and only a couple hundred films actually get made. So why don't you novelize the story, which I think is a really good story, and um, and uh, then at least you'll have a property, uh, and you can uh, you can uh, see if you can uh, make something out of that. So uh, I put it away. I thanked him, um, and uh, when I knew I was coming to uh, retirement, um, that's when I decided to. Um, um, excuse me. Um, that that's when I decided to pull out the research that I had done on that. And, um, I wrote, uh, I wrote, um, my first draft of widow walk and, um, it's based on what I had learned, uh, over the years up here. Well, well, um, two things, um, that are interesting to me was that you had mentioned that you, um, you took acting classes to better, uh, suit, your bedside manner, um, I think that's incredible. It must have also fed your uh, development of character in your novels. And then, um, and then too, that you uh, started Widow Walk as a treatment versus a novel. I wasn't aware of that, and I find that very interesting. Um, but the fact that you... Uh, you have this background in theater. Um, doesn't don't you find that it helps you when you are uh, setting off on character development? Uh, sure, uh, I, I, I agree. The, the the theater concept I think is helps from the standpoint of both structure, uh, but also uh, delving into the character. My my novels tend to have less dialogue um, than one would see in a screenplay, obviously, uh, or uh, on a stage production. Uh, someone commented, uh, one of the critics commented that, that uh, there was a lot of interiority, uh, was the term he used, uh, to describe uh, what was going on with the characters. And I think that trying to establish the motivations which is what you do, of course, when you're acting, you try to determine the motivations of yourself or, or for the people that you're trying to direct. Um, it, it's hugely important to, to create um, uh, something that is uh, uh, at least honest. And I've always been a, a proponent of uh, Stanislavskian, the Stanislavskian tradition where you become the part, uh, become mm-hmm. the character. Uh, I can tell you some funny stories about directing um, plays when I was in, in college uh, where we actually tried to do that. Um, and it's it's more difficult. Uh, method acting is more difficult than it might seem. So, yeah, applying that into writing is important, and um, I think, um, 
uh, if you read Widow Walk, you will see that uh, it is structured very, very much like it could be adapted. And as a matter of fact, the fact that it got picked up by Tom Skerritt um, for a feature film uh, recently, as a matter of fact, we just signed the contract for that, uh, is, uh, I think, speaks to the notion of structure and uh, and and how uh, a story could be translated into uh, on, on, into another medium. And Tom oh, asked wow. me to work on the screenplay, and and I did, and I found that uh, well, it, you know, there's a challenge there, and and my mentors at CalArts would always tell me um, less dialogue, more action, uh, and uh, and 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 that's it's a very difficult. Very difficult process to uh, to uh, make that translation from one medium to the other. Well, that's huge. And um, so the the three novels in the saga are Widowock, Isthmus, and The Fairness of Beasts, which will be coming out in 2017. Um, award-winning yeah. novels, both the first and second novel, Widowock and Isthmus. And Widowock, as you Dated, has just been picked up by filmmaker, producer, actor, director um, Tom Skerritt, who is an amazing actor. Um, will he be directing? Um, that's not been determined yet. Uh, you know, we we're we have established we'll shoot it here, uh, a good portion of it here in the Pacific Northwest, maybe some of it up in Canada, and. Um, uh, it's a little too early. Tom's got two other productions uh, um, that uh, that he is going to do pr- prior to Widow Walk. Um, uh, David Gooderson's uh, East of uh, the Mountains, I think, is uh, going to be one of his first productions. Um, and um, so uh, I, I don't know who's going to direct it. I, I, Tom may play a part in it, though. Oh, that's wonderful! What a great, um, what a great boon for your story. It's uh, it's always, I think, a, a desire for authors to get um, their books made into movies. Movies are so awesome, um, and so I definitely want to know when the um, premiere is, and I want to have you back. <laughs> Uh, when I want to have you back also for for when you release uh, Fairness of Beasts, so we can talk about that as well. Um, okay. So let's talk about your your uh, your saga, the um, the Widowak saga. Um, take us through the storyline. Okay, well, Widowak is based on true events that occurred in 1858 and and some preceding. Um, motivation, so to speak, uh, on Whidbey Island. And it involved, uh, it involves, uh, although the, the characters are fictionalized, uh, but close enough to the real events, it involved the most prominent uh, Pacific Northwest settler, at least at that time, uh, in many people's minds, a guy named Isaac Eby. If you go up to Whidbey Island, there's uh, the E.B. Plateau and the E.B. Landing and a variety of other things that are named after him. He was being touted as a possible gubernatorial replacement for Stevens, who, of course, uh, uh, tried to uh, provoke a war of extermination against the the peoples up here. And um, I, I learned about the Northerners, who I think would be our version of uh, the Vikings, 
while I was uh, fishing with the Lummi Indians uh, uh, during medical school uh, during the summer. And nobody really knew who they were. Um, a lot of different tribes were uh, blamed uh, for being the northerners, but the likelihood is, is that it was all of them in one form or another, uh, people who would maraud um, some horrific events uh, that were quite violent, uh, um, beheadings, kidnappings, uh, and, and, uh, and, and the like. And um, in Port Gamble, uh, about six months prior to the event that uh, befell Eby and his family, uh, a uh, U.S. gunboat, the Massachusetts, fired on uh, about 600 natives who were gathered uh, probably peacefully around uh, a, a sawmill, uh, and uh, dozens and dozens of people were killed, including a Tai, a, a chieftain. And it was probably a northerner chieftain. They took the survivors who uh, couldn't escape and dumped them on a, the, the gunboat dumped them on a small island off of Vancouver, uh, assuming that they would perish there. But they didn't. Uh, at least that's what the speculation was. The speculation is, is that six months later, in the middle of the night, um, uh, Eby's family, which was uh, on Whidbey Island, was attacked, and Eby came out onto the porch to see what was going on at two in the morning and he was killed and they took his head uh, and carried it up the coast um, parading it uh, because it was a Thais head, a white Thais head. And the family tried to get his remains back for years. Um, so that's where the story starts. Uh, although there's, uh, the first several chapters, as I said before, are interiority chapters that talk about the what's going on in the minds of uh, the protagonists and the, uh, the heavy uh, villains in, in this story to try to establish motivations uh, for their behaviors. And um, the, uh, the woman, uh, uh, Emmy, who is a uh, very strong uh, protagonist, uh, uh, determines without the help of, uh, after not succeeding in getting the help of either the uh, American or the British uh, military to retrieve her son who's been kidnapped, to t takes it on her own to go up to the, uh, go up north to try to uh, find her son uh, at one of the uh, big potlatches that uh, uh, were, was being held. And um, I won't tell you anything more about it. When I finished the book, um, Several people said, this is a great book. Uh, you are, you're you're going to continue it, aren't you? Because I, I, uh, you know, I had durable characters. That, uh, and they said, you know, you've got you've to keep writing this. So that's where the saga began. And I, when I started Isthmus, I, I didn't know much about uh, Panama at the time. As a matter of fact, I was going to have Emmy traveling back to Boston with her family to, uh, to go back home around the, the, the Horn, uh, South America. And I discovered that actually there was a railroad that had been built in 1855 that crossed the 47 miles. And, and uh, uh, it was the most expensive travel in the world at the time, $25 in gold one way, um, plus $3 in gold per pound of baggage. 
And then the more I more research I did, I went down to Panama and, and uh, traipsed the jungles and and uh, went to the beaches where some of the events eventually occurred. I, I found a lot of backstory that uh, hadn't known about, including the story of Rand Reynolds, who was a Texas Ranger who was hired by the uh, by the uh, railroad company to prevent the the gold robbers from uh, from marauding their trains. And so I built a story around that, um, around Emmy and her family, and invented a new character, um, a guy named Bocamalo, um, who uh, is one of the what is known as the Darieni, um, the inhabitants of the Darien jungle, the impenetrable jungle between uh, between Colombia and Panama, and uh, he he is uh, a very very interesting character that uh, uh, I have a, a, a classmate from Cornell who uh, was a, a, a prominent psychiatrist, and he said, "Gar, you you really understand sociopathic behavior <laughs> with that character." Um, uh, so that that became uh, that became book two, and um, I had already determined by that point that I was going to do a five story novel or five book novel uh, saga and that's where um, I developed uh, the third novel which is uh, um, set in the uh, in the peninsula of Virginia during the first two years of the Civil War involving some of the same characters um, I, I guess uh, Susan, the, my goal is to create uh, a saga that speaks to um, uh, doing the right thing um, during times of profound change, when uh, there's an evolution in our thought about human rights and universal emancipation, and um, so book three deals with uh, how a durable character contends with sociopathic behavior, which she did very very well in the first two books, but now she's in an environment where effectively. Uh, Sociopathic behavior has been unleashed and, and given permission uh, as a result of a war, which is where it came up with the title. Wow. And uh, Well, go ahead. I'm so sorry. I, I, was, no, I no, thought you no, were pausing. No, no, I, I was pausing. So. Oh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing uh, set of books, um, and, they're, and you're talking now about the fairness of beasts. Right. Right. The I, I will give you a, 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 just a brief glimpse of where I'm going. I think with the saga, uh, and I'm starting the research now. Uh, the fourth book, which I don't have a title for yet, uh, involves the orphan trains uh, that occurred from about 1855 uh, until about 1917, 1918, or so, in which uh, 250,000 kids were just picked up from the streets uh, of New York and Philadelphia and Chicago and Boston. They uh, dress them up. Uh, some of them went through uh, orphanages, but a lot of them were just cleaned up, but they put new clothing on them. And they ship these kids across 42 different States uh, wow. to be, uh, uh, to be in quotes adopted in quotes by, uh, by people. 
in, uh, in farming communities across the country. And, uh, you know, uh, in some circumstances, they went into warm and uh, warm families, and in a lot of other circumstances, uh, that wasn't the case. So you can surmise that, that some of the same characters that appear in books one, two, and three will show up with that as a context. And then wow. the fifth book, Bring It All Back Here to the Pacific Northwest, is uh, Emmy. And um, and some of the same characters come back here uh, at the turn of the century. Oh wow! Well, it just sounds fabulous. And of course, you know, someone as as reputable as Tom Skerritt is going to look at this story. The first one, of course, is what he's he's uh, contracted for to make. It, so you've got movie rights on that. Um, it sounds incredible, um, and uh, and I love the idea of the Pacific Northwest theme because we live up here, don't we? And it's very interesting. Yeah. And just from listening to you, I've learned more about um, uh, EB than I would have ever known. I I am a transplant from Phoenix, so haven't been schooled in you know in the in the history of Washington State and the Pacific Northwest. Um, and so it's very interesting for me to, to learn that today. Again, everybody, we're talking with Gar LaSalle. You can find Gar LaSalle at www.garlasalle.com, and that's spelled G-A-R-L-A-S-A-L-L-E.com. And you can find Gar LaSalle on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, it, it, your story it sounds fabulous, and it just sounds like you're um, – you're hitting all the right markers as you're writing. You're you're hitting the the action elements, the um, the internalization of characters, and you're hitting uh, great dialogue, obviously, and some thriller aspects as well. Um, it sounds like it's quite a ride, and that it's uh, it's quite horrific at times. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not afraid of that because I work as an emergency physician. Um, you know, since 73 until I retired. So you see lots of things, and, and if you keep yourself a, uh, senses alive, uh, you try to incorporate that in one form or another. I, I'll tell you something interesting. I, I used to carry a tape recorder on my belt when I was a young emergency physician, and I worked at Los Angeles County. And it's one of the places where I did my residency and at UCLA. And um, so over the years, I, I collected stories, not uh, so much the clinical stories, which, of course, uh, all physicians like to write about, but really more about the social aspects of things and how people present and, and the difficulties that they encounter um, and get themselves into. And uh, so that uh, doesn't frighten me and... and uh, uh, so I'm not afraid to write about it either. Oh, and you're coming at it from a a very technical and accurate point of view. So I would think that that would be some of your most amazing description would be um, a little bit of the, I'm going to say it, gore. Um, I, I am not afraid of it either. I'm not afraid of it either. Um, we come to our writing bringing a lot of information from our past, and it doesn't bother go, you know, gore and, and violence and uh, don't bother me. Um, uh, I think it's, I think they're almost necessary at times so that the reader can understand the 
mindset of what is going on at the time for the character. So, um, at the, and and for a character to actually see something and have it described as such um, is is an insight into the character's background and um, enlightens the reader to that character even more. So I think it's important that we're very specific and that we have sensuous detail and that it's important to the story. You know, it has to be important to the story. Otherwise, yeah. what's it there for? You know, it's just uh, for the thrill of gore but or, or sex yeah. if we're writing sex. Um, but, yeah, um, it, so anybody that is not faint of heart, uh, not that this is terribly, terribly... Um, uh, gory. I wouldn't say that at all about your books, but um, definitely um, uh, active in description for sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's gratuitous. I, I don't believe in gratuitous no. violence. As a matter of fact, I, I detest that. But I think that if if bad things do happen, uh, and I don't go into into a lot of detail about about it, but I think it, it first of all needs to be. Accurate from the within the historical context um, of what we knew about things and when. Um, for example, there's a scene uh, in one of the chapters in Widow Walk where uh, there's uh, miscarriage that's occurring, and mm-hmm. and I, I had to I had to uh, put that into the context of what we knew about medicine back in those days and and uh, and and what caused postpartum sepsis which uh, mm-hmm. killed so many women and, yeah. and what the, your typical country doctor or midwife would have uh, um, understood was this in quotes state of the art uh, at the time without understanding, uh, you know, germ theory, which hadn't been developed yet. Um, right. So, so you have to tell that um, the right way and it doesn't need to be gory but it has to be direct, and, and, and in my opinion, it needs to be accurate uh, from that standpoint. I agree. I agree. This is wonderful, and your books sound fabulous, and your upcoming fourth and fifth book sound amazing as well, and that those will then wrap up the uh, the Widowak saga. Um, what are your plans after that? <laughs> well, I... I, I, I it, uh, my writing uh, is, uh, I usually write in the middle of the night uh, when, when everything is quiet and, and I, can, I don't have any distractions. And it just takes me some time. I've just started some of the heavy research for book four. Um, and I, part of that will be getting on trains and going to small towns uh, throughout the Midwest, which was where the trains were being, sh- uh, the kids were being shipped uh, in 1862 to 65 or so when the events take place. And, and even if they don't have railroad lines any, uh, anymore servicing them, just to see what the, the uh, context would be for, uh, for our characters. And, and so that takes time. Um, and then I've also started dab, dipping my toe into, uh, into late 19th century Pacific Northwest history, uh, probably starting in Montana and moving westward um, to get a sense of what that was like and and then try to figure out just how our characters would have uh, interacted with all of the rapid development that was occurring uh, 
within the context of the fact that women still didn't have a vote, and uh, and even though uh, there had been emancipation of the slaves, uh, that African Americans were still uh, uh, ostracized and being treated terribly, and all the other things that were going on in the world at that time. Um, so. I, to, to speak about what I'm going to do after I finish, I, I don't know. Uh, Tom keeps on talking about, Tom Scarrett keeps on talking about the, the series turning into the next um, Game of Thrones. He's pretty excited about all that. Oh, so wow. I, Isn't that wonderful I to could, have somebody like Tom Scarrett behind your your work so so uh, vehemently? Yeah, I, I could get sucked into that, I guess. But, uh, but the main, my main, main concern frankly is to make sure that the books are good enough Mm -hmm. to merit people buying them and reading them and and seeing where we're trying to go with all that yeah well it's just been a pleasure for me to speak with you you're doing such good work not only in your writing which is profoundly entertaining and important but also with um, how wonderful you treat other writers in that you have developed this award this annual award uh, for um, their work. Um, I just want to congratulate you on all of your efforts. Um, again, Garla Sal, this has been a pleasure for me. Thank you for being on the, my show. Thank you so much for having me here, Susan. Thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Everybody, again, that was Gar LaSalle, and he is an incredible historical fiction author. Um, and again, Widow Walk just uh, got contracted for movie rights with Tom Skerritt. He's an incredible um, actor as well as a director and producer. Um, and uh, you can find Gar LaSalle at garlasalle.com, and that's spelled G-A-R-L-A-S-A-L-L-E dot com. And you can find Gar on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, his books are available on all the online um, book distributors like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of those, and as well as in brick and mortar bookstores. So please go out and buy Wittawak and the Wittawak Saga, which is the second book is Isthmus, and the third, which is coming out this year, is The Fairness of Beasts. So um, again, I'm Susan Wingate. I'm the host of dialogue between the lines and um, you can find my books at susanwingate.com and you can find me also on Facebook and Twitter and be uh, prepared for another fabulous guest next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on blog talk radio forward slash dialogue take care bye-bye